you have your Bibles, hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And here's our prayer together. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a high five or a pound your neighbor there and make them feel loved and welcome. Those of you who are visiting today, we're glad you're here and pray that our service will be a blessing to you. Winding down our series, uh, the last message will be uh, next Sunday leading up to Mother's Day. And uh, we've been talking about using the baseball theme, making your home a field of dreams. Today I want to talk about scorebooks and scoreboards, drowning in the details. Drowning in the details. Scorebooks are valuable and they're necessary uh, tools for baseball and uh, any sport, but especially in baseball, because with the scorebook you can monitor balls and strikes and hits and errors and RBIs and walks, walks and pitch locations and hit locations and lineups and player substitutions. Scorebooks allow you to chart the sequence of plays made to record an out. For example, 6-4-3 DP means the shortstop fielded the ball through the second baseman and threw the ball to the first baseman for a double play. Everybody says. Somebody wakes up from their chair and goes, what was that? <laughs> okay. Scorebooks keep up with the details of the game. But when the last out's been recorded, there's only one detail that's crucial. The important detail can be found in the scorebook and on the scoreboard. It's not always the team that has the most hits that wins the game. It's the team that ends up with the most runs. For instance, in the 1988 World Series, the Dodgers were playing the A's. It was one of the great 10 great moments in World Series history. Kirk Gibson hit a game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth inning to lead the Dodgers to victory against the heavily favored Oakland Athletics. If you check the scorebook, you could have concluded that the injured Kirk Gibson was not much of a factor in the series. Even though he hit a home run in game one and was the MVP of the National League regular season, Gibson only batted once in the entire 1988 series. Dodger Manager Tommy Lasorda said Gibson's home run paralyzed the A's. It inspired our team to believe that we could win the series even though no one gave us a chance. See, scorebooks keep up with a lot of information, but they can't measure important things like inspiration, motivation, and confidence. Our text is found in Matthew chapter 23. Verses 23 through 29. If you have those Bibles, open it up to that. Matthew 23, 23 through 29. Jesus in these passages exposes the folly, if you would, allowing, of allowing insignificant details to dominate a person's life. Let's pick up at verse 23. 
What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but not neglect the more important things. Blind guides. You stain your water, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of godly people your ancestors destroyed. The context of this passage is a harsh rebuke by Jesus Himself of the legalistic bondage of the Pharisees that discouraged people from seeking God, and it created a false holiness among these religious leaders. Our churches are still filled with people who are more concerned about the outside of the cup than they are on the inside of the cup. If you will clean the inside, the outside will shine. And we need to be about that business, folks. This was the last public address of Jesus before He began to turn His attention to the cross. He gave some final instructions to His disciples. Warren Worsby, in his commentary on this passage, says this, It was a scathing, <clears throat> scathing denunciation of false religion that paraded under the guise of truth. <clears throat> Some of the common people were shocked at his words, for they considered the Pharisees to be righteous. And when you have religious leaders polishing the outside of the cup and not cleaning the inside of the cup, then why do, you, why do we get con concerned and alarmed when we see the people that follow that leader doing the same? I want to give you three keys this morning to keeping your holiness the way it should be. Number one, analyze priorities. Jesus boldly declares that some matters of life are more important than others. I want you to look at verse 23. The Pharisees neglect, Jesus said, justice, mercy, and faith. These significant matters are similar to the ones that you would find in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 when it says what, in other words, what the Lord requires of you when it says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We're encouraged in Micah to do that. And, and, and the list is not to be exhaustive, but it is meant to be important and to challenge us to analyze our priorities. One of the most significant obstacles to greatness is being satisfied with what it is that's good that we have right now. Jesus commends the Pharisees for doing good things. 
They tithed of all their possessions, even their household spices like mint, dill, and cumin. While they concentrated on doing good things and they neglected more important matters. Jesus provides another powerful illustration in verse 24. He says, you strain out a gnat, yet gulp down a camel. You ever allowed a camel to distract you from doing the important things? You ever been just singing away in your car? You've got 102.3 on, you've got some praise music going, and you're just singing away? How? Oh. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, and your song turns from praise to cursing. Your smile and your sweet disposition change to an ogre who could kill in a moment. And you speed up and get right on their tail because somehow that's going to intimidate them, isn't it? You get right up on their tail and you're tempted, you're tempted, your hand is starting to grip the steering wheel tighter because you want to honk the horn right at the back of their tail. In fact, you want to speed around them when you get a chance but some idiot's gotten to the side of you and got you blocked in and you can't get around them. Because you want to get around them and you want to just wave at them in the way that Arkansas folks sometimes wave. <laughs> you want to pass them and share a blessing from God with them, do you not? But just a few moments before, you were singing, you were praising the Lord, amen? Woo, glory, I don't tell you, Lord, <laughs> how fast it can work. What's important? What's the priority? I would have you consider the modern-day philosopher Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown declares his dream for impacting the world. Charlie Brown holds his hands up and he says to his friend Lucy, these are the hands which may someday do marvelous works. These are the hands which may someday accomplish great things. These are the hands which may build bridges or heal the sick or hit home runs or write soul-stirring novels. These are the hands which may someday change the course of destiny. Lucy, his dear friend, looks at his hands and she says, those hands have jelly on them. Analyze priorities. Second key, avoid paralysis. People get sidelined and sidetracked with details. Uh, I had a dear lady, dear friend, say to me one time, God doesn't worry, so I have to for him. <laughs> yep. See, that's our tendency, isn't it? We worry about stuff we don't need to worry about. But we do it anyway because God won't do it, so I need to. So, I mean, we, we tell you all the time, come bring your, your, your cares to the cross, lay them at the foot of the cross, He will take care of them, and what do we do? We come, we lay them there, and then what do we do? Say amen, and then put them back on and take them with us. Because we know that the cross is really, He really can't handle those. He these are too big for Him. That's what we say. We get so tied up in the details of things. Well, you're still supposed to have faith. Well, I, I, I need more than that. No, you don't. You just need to have faith. He told Abraham, leave. Well, where am I going? Doesn't matter. Just go. Can you imagine the conversation he had with Sarah when he went in and said, hey, babe, we're moving. She goes, oh, great. I want to relocate. Where are we going? He goes, I don't know. How are we going to get there? On foot. 
How long will it take? Couldn't tell you. But we don't have enough money in the bank. Don't worry. How are we going to eat? God will provide. I mean, she'd be knocking him out, wouldn't she? Women got to have details. We got to know what's going on here. Hey, what, what, who's taking care of the kids? We got to enroll them in school. We got to take them out of school. We got the health records. We got to get all the, I mean, the, the women, they worry about that. That's what they're supposed to do, right? Men, we don't know. Oh, oh okay. We just go. And the women, and we look back, and the woman ain't with us. <laughs> she said, You go, I'll catch up with you. Yeah, there we go. We've got to avoid paralysis. A couple ways we do that. Number one, first we must pursue purity. Pursue purity. Say that ten times fast. Jesus reminds us of that principle that he taught throughout his ministry. Cleansing the inside of the cup is more important than the outside. Matthew 23, 26, he emphasizes that the cleaning of the inside will cause the outside to become clean. The Sermon on the Mount. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All things will be provided for you in Matthew 6, 33. In Matthew 15, 11, and 18, the concept of internal and eternal things taking precedent over material things receives more clarity as you read those verses. When he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defies a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defies a man. And then verse 18, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Pursue purity. The Pharisees lost their godly influence. Jesus calls them more than once in our text hypocrites. You ever talk to somebody said they won't go to church because it's so full of hypocrites? You know the best response to that is? Well, come join us. You're going to fit in great. What is a hypocrite? It's two words. Hypo, super, crit, judge. What did they just do? They just super judged everybody at church as hypocrites. So you're one. Come on and join us. Well, the roof, I've heard that time. The roof will cave in if I come into your church. You know what I tell them now? Oh, that'd be marvelous. We've been wanting a new church building. Would you come and make that happen? And then when they come, I, the first thing I do is I, I put my arm around them and I go, I don't see anything falling. Oh, man, that's good. All right. Why do we let little pity any excuses sidetrack us from being a witness for Christ? You know? Wouldn't it be fun sometime when they say, well, hypocrites down there say, oh, well, just go to hell with the rest of them then. Wouldn't it be fun just to say that, you know? I know we can't do that. But it'd be fun, wouldn't it? Who knows? You may get their attention. You see, you're, you can have a home field advantage in your family if you uh, don't lose influence over your children. But you can do that if you do stupid things, parents. We paralyze our influence by failing to guard our hearts. We let immorality or impurity sneak in. We think we're hiding at 2 in the morning looking at that computer screen. We think that that bill, that credit card that we've hit and charged for the pornography is not going to show up on the credit, on the credit card bill. We don't even think about it because we're so self-driven by the desires that we have in us. And I can just give you a blank and you fill it in. It could be pornography, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be what anger, it could be whatever it is. Because we're so consumed with ourselves and not the priorities of others. A second strategy for avoiding paralysis 
is to desire divine approval more than worldly appearance. The Pharisees were so concerned about their outward appearance and how they looked and that they looked righteous in verse 28 of our text. They were so consumed by that. It's a deadly trap. I look in the mirror and I get less handsome every day. And it's the mirror's fault, isn't it? I've looked at that mirror for years now. I told Cindy, I said, we're remodeling the house, baby. We've got to have a better mirror. Because that mirror we got hanging up there, in every bathroom I go, we've got two bathrooms, in every bathroom I go, in both those bathrooms, the mirror is the same. I want the mirror gone. I want that mirror, when I look in that mirror, I want that mirror to reflect one of my good-looking young sons. That's what I want to see in there. Every mirror I look in, it's that old coot that keeps looking back at him. I'm tired of that guy. It's got to be the mirror's fault. Amen. Get rid of that mirror. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Some of our great hymns challenge us to avoid the trap of appearance. When I survey the wondrous cross, we sang some of the words this morning. My richest gain I count as loss and pour contempt on all my pride. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. There's that hymn, I am resolved, challenges us to seek greater things. It says, I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. And then there's a great hymn, Be Thou My Vision. It says, Riches I heed not, or man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and Thou only, first in my heart. High King of Heaven, my treasure Thou art. Well, they used a lot of that King James language back then, didn't they? But it's the power of the words that make a difference. And last priorities, avoid paralysis. Then number three, acknowledge your need for provision. <clears throat> Made several applications for the family from Jesus' rebuke of this dangerous hypocrisy and legalism that the Pharisees displayed. But Jesus here now refers also in this text to the blindness of the Pharisees to see their need for forgiveness. So often we as Christians and especially as parents forget that we need to be on our knees seeking God's forgiveness as well. I've made a hundred million mistakes in raising children and I've been willing to acknowledge when I really blow it to my boys. I tell them. I said, you know, I blew it right here. This wasn't a very smart move on Dad's part. And then I always say, now you don't do that, right? <laughs> but it's important that I acknowledge that I blew it. One time I spanked one of them when I really shouldn't have. But because I was consumed about myself and my schedule, I didn't need their interruption, so I just decided to spank them instead of really sit down and talk about it. Because, see, there you go. They've interrupted my flow. That's what children do, don't they? Don't ever pray, Lord, give me patience. Because He'll give you children. 
And if you really pray hard, Lord, give me a lot of patience, you'll have twins. If you have more than two at one time, I'd get on my knees, boy. <laughs> but like the Pharisees, we fail to see our need for divine provision. We read self-help books. We read parenting books. We read seminars. We go to seminars and listen. And the thing we need to do is spend time in the Word of God. The Word of God will help you raise your children the way they should go. In fact, Proverbs says, teach them. Teach them the way they should go. And when they're old, it won't depart from them. And they won't depart from it. It'll always be underlining in their life. Uh, my son tells me often, he says, Dad, I, my moral compass is kicking in. I am so pleased when I hear that. Because that means he hadn't dulled it yet. Amen? That's what we need. We all need that. What parent has not felt the pressure of being too busy to pray, to study your child's memory verse, or to maintain a disciplined devotional life? Jesus' harsh warning is to all of us. And he would say, woe to you parents who think you can raise a child without God's provision. Seek God today. Someday, maybe too late. I've heard that many, many times over the years. Well, one of these days, preacher. One of these days. Charles Swindoll was, uh, again, one of my favorite pastors and authors. Charles Swindoll wrote an insightful essay entitled, Someday. It's powerful. Let me, let me share it with you. Someday when the kids are grown... Things are going to be a lot uh, different. The garage uh, won't be full of bikes, electric train tracks on plywood, sawhorses surrounded by chunks of two-by-fours, nails, a hammer and saw, unfinished experimental projects, and that rabbit cage. I'll be able to park both cars neatly in just the right places and never again stumble over skateboards, a pile of paper saved for the school fun drive, or that bag of rabbit food. Now spilt and spilled. Oh. Someday when the kids are grown, the kitchen will be incredibly neat. The sink will be free of sticky dishes. The garbage disposal won't be choked on rubber bands or paper clips and paper cups. The refrigerator won't be clogged with nine bottles of milk. We won't lose the tops to jelly jars, ketchup bottles, the peanut butter, the margarine or the mustard. The water jar won't be put back empty. The ice trays won't be left out overnight. The blender won't stand for six hours, coated with the remains of a midnight malt, and the honey will stay inside the counter and the container. Someday when the kids are grown, my lovely wife will actually have time to get dressed leisurely. A long hot bath without three panic in interruptions, time to do her nails, even toenails if she pleases, without answering a dozen questions and reviewing spelled words. Having had her hair done that afternoon while with trying to squeeze in between racing a sick dog to the vet and a trip to the orthodontist with a kid in a bad mood because she lost her headgear anyway. Someday when the kids are grown, the instrument called a telephone will actually be available. It won't look like it's growing from a teenager's ears. Boy, this was written too far ago, wasn't it? <laughs> it will simply hang there silently and amazingly available. It will be free of lipstick, human saliva, mayonnaise, corn chip crumbs, and toothpicks stuck in those little holes. Someday when the kids are grown, I'll be able to see through the car windows, fingerprints, tongue licks, snicker footprints, sneaker footprints, dog tracks. Don't go there. We'll be conspicuously absent. The best seat won't be a disaster area. We won't sit on jacks or crayons anymore. The tank will not always be somewhere between empty and fumes. 
and I won't have to clean up dog messes another time. Someday when the kids are grown, we will return to normal conversations, you know, just plain American talk. Gross won't punctuate every sentence seven times. Yuck will not be heard. Hurry up, I gotta go will not accompany the banging of fists on the bathroom door. It's my turn won't call for a referee. And a magazine article will be read in full without interruption. And then discussed at length without mom and dad having to hide in the attic to finish the conversation. Someday when the kids are grown, we won't run out of toilet tissue. My wife won't lose her keys. We won't forget to shut the refrigerator door. I won't have to dream up new ways of diverting attention from the gumball machine or have to answer, Daddy, is it a sin that you are driving 47 in a 30 mile per hour zone? Or promise to kiss, or promise to kiss the rabbit goodnight? Or wait up forever until they get home from dates? Or have to take a number to get a word in at the supper table? Or endure the pious pounding of one Keith Green song just below the level of acute pain? Yes, someday when the kids are grown, things are going to be a lot different. One by one, they'll leave our nest and the place will begin to resemble order and maybe even a touch of elegance. The clink of china and silver will be heard on occasion. The crackling of the fireplace will echo through the hallway. The phone will be strangely silent. The house will be quiet and calm and always clean and empty and filled with memories and lonely. And we won't like that at all. And we'll spend our time not looking forward to someday but looking back to yesterday and thinking maybe we can babysit the grandkids and get some life back in this place for a change. <laughs> Father, oh, Father, we need you in this hour to remind us how important it is to have a relationship with you. We need to remember how empty your house feels when we let other things take the place of the priorities in our life. I am so grateful for parents that see the need to make sure their children are a part of church. And Father, I'm so grateful for parents that are leading in their home. And Father, I know there have been tears shared in a lot of homes over the behavior of children. But what a joy it is when you can see them on the other side of childhood and the teenage years being productive adults. And Father, some of us need to come back to you. <clears throat> Some of us need to reestablish a connection to you. So would you move in those hearts today? Give them the courage they need to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great song. If you have a